You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good, I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello! Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Happy New Year to all, and to all a good night. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, the show's over already? Oh, that was no, fast. but at 12 o'clock, it will be January 1st, 2023, and I'm very happy to be here to entertain you until then, but Speedy Petey, how are you? Happy to be your New Year's Eve, I guess you call it appetizer. You're not my appetizer. I don't want you I to be my appetizer. I wouldn't want to be eaten either. Speaking of food, I had a lot of food on Christmas. I had a very fun Christmas. Merry mm. Christmas to everybody out there, too. And a happy New Year. Yes, hope everybody had a fun Christmas and happy holiday season. I certainly did. I also got to meet up with a friend from college who I haven't seen in five years, a couple days ago, which was a lot of fun as well. And now looking forward to New Year's. You are going home, aren't you? Yes, I am. You'll get to spend a little bit of time with your parents and brothers, and maybe you'll play some Monopoly. You like Monopoly? We haven't done that in a while. Could you imagine your family sitting and trying to figure out who's taking what street? My brother Dylan always goes for the orange ones. He'll trade for it at all costs. Well, there you go. Well, we have a great show lined up for you. A little bit later in the show, we will be talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Esten Jr., a friend and a fan of the show. I'm sure he has his own thoughts of what's going on with the Jets. Zach Wilson, do the Jets make the playoffs? Do they make a run with the next two games against Seattle? And... And Miami, that will send the Jets into the playoffs for the first time in 12 big ones. Mike White will start against the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle. Mike White is not 100% healthy. The Jets need to protect him. They have not protected anybody at quarterback in the last few games. There is anonymous executives that believe Zach Wilson will be traded this offseason. And some people say he might not be traded for much. But I disagree. And we will speak to our friend Paul about that. The Giants home versus the Colts. If they win, they clinch the number six seed. I give a lot of credit to Daniel Jones this year. He deserves a lot of the credit with no wide receivers to throw to except Darius Slayton, who's really a number three on any other team. Our three-for-all picks of the week. The Mets back out of the Correa deal due to unknown injury. Correa says he will not take a pay cut to go back to the Mets. That whole Correa thing, Mets, we're going to have a star third baseman, could be out in the garbage because our friend Uncle Stevie is not willing to open up the pockets if somebody isn't 100% healthy. Well, Carlos Correa is very used to garbage. His team won a World Series with garbage cans. There you go. Yankees possibly would include Glaber Big Daddy Torres in a trade for an outfielder. I've been telling this to everybody. If there was a player they're going to trade in the offseason, it would be Glaber Torres. 
and now you're hearing his name being in the mix. And it has a lot to do with Pereza and Volpe, two guys that should make the team at spring training. Plus, they're probably not going to be able to pay him, or maybe they don't want to pay him because they might be looking at Machado in the offseason next year because we all know Donaldson won't be there after next year. Knicks on a five-game losing streak after having an eight-game winning streak, and the Nets on a 10-game winning streak. The Nets are expected to win. They have three superstars on one team. The one thing I've been very interested on is the dynamic of this team ever since Steve Nash decided to step down. Very impressed with what the Nets are doing right now. LeBron unsure on how much longer he'll play on the Lakers. And maybe in the NBA. I do believe Bronny is the guy that he is waiting for to step on a basketball NBA court. Still two years away. Bronny would have to play at least G League or play one year of college basketball because high school kids cannot play in the NBA. Plus, I don't think he's ready to play in the NBA. It'll be very interesting. And the NHL. Both Rangers and Islanders with 44 points tied for the wild card spot in the East. Rangers and Islanders in a very good place, and we'll see if there's any trades. We all know Lou likes to open up the pockets! Open up the trades, but Ante Ranti has played a couple of games in the NHL, has played very well. The Islanders might have something with this kid, and they were never going to trade that kid. It didn't matter who they were going to get. I think they believe in this kid. A lot of people believe that this kid could have been the number one pick in the draft a couple of years ago, but after having a bad junior year in the juniors, he fell to the second around somehow. The Islanders scooped him up. They were very lucky to get him, and within two years, he's in the NHL. It usually, for a guy that's drafted in a second round, it usually takes three years to step on NHL ice. It's only really the first three picks that really get in very quickly from the NHL draft. It's been incredible how quick he's jumped from the OHL to the AHL to the NHL. And by the way, we will have crunch time. You know, we sit here today, and we can go up and down on the problems for the New York Jets in the last couple of weeks. And a lot of people Want to point fingers at Zach Wilson. Now, do I think he's a piece of the problem? Yes, I do. Do I think he's ready to play in the NFL? I don't. We've seen enough of Zach Wilson to know that he can't make every single throw. He's had problems or the yips and throwing short passes to their running backs. His pitch throws, if he gets into trouble, he holds the ball too long. Some people say he holds the ball 3.5 seconds to 4 seconds, and that's a huge problem in the NFL because you should only hold the ball for 2 to 2.5 seconds. Do I think the Jets have given Zach Wilson the best opportunity to succeed on this team? And the answer is no. I think having a guy like Mike LaFleur just been absolutely horrific. He has been one of the worst we've seen for the New York Jets in the last 15 years. He's been horrible. And there's no excuse. And everybody's going to say, well, he's the best that we've seen in a very long time. Define the best. Define where they're ranked offensively. Ever since Brees Hall has been hurt. He depended on Brees Hall to do absolutely everything. And it took a lot of pressure off of Zach Wilson, which they could hide the deficiencies of Zach Wilson. We can argue that Zach Wilson will never step on an NFL field again. Or he could step on an NFL field on another team. But what we have seen is a kid who doesn't deserve all the abuse from the press, from the fans. Did he make a mistake when he lost against New England in New England? Absolutely did. Did he embarrass himself? Yes. Did he lose the locker room. Yes. And now you see the difference of what a locker room does from one quarterback to the other. Mike White is beloved by the Jets clubhouse. And Zach Wilson, besides DJ Reed and maybe Conklin that actually liked the kid, it looks like Garrett Wilson 
Elijah Moore, Michael Carter, Corey Davis. Half of that offense, including the offensive line, don't want to play for him. Does that hurt his chances of making this roster next year? It absolutely does. And I believe what you see now with Mike White is every single Jet fan thinks that he is the future. Everybody thinks that he's just going to have these wings and he's going to fly the Jets into victory. This is the same guy that is only 2-6 and six starting for the New York Jets. He has had 10 red zone chances and only scored on two of them. So for all the Jet fans that are going to think, Mike White's the future. We need to give him an extension. We need to give him a long-term deal. That is not going to happen. There is no way a player who was waived five times by this organization is going to get a $70, $80 million contract from Joe Douglas. And I think Joe Douglas knows Mike White is not the future to this organization. It was Zach Wilson. It's no longer Zach Wilson. Now you're hearing trade rumors, and if the Jets can get something back for him that is significant, he'll probably be gone. I understand that Zach Wilson's mom is mad. She should not be speaking to the press. She should not be going on social media and embarrassing her son because it makes her son look like a peewee. He's not beloved here. Nobody wants him here. It's unfortunate. Do I think this kid has a chance to be a good quarterback in the NFL? He's got all the skills. He's got all the ability to be a good quarterback in the NFL. But he needs to go to a team that's going to sit him on the bench and let him learn the game. Start over. The Jets can't do it anymore. The press will eat that up alive. The fans will eat Joe Douglas and Robert Sala up alive. It's not going to happen. This is a guy that was drafted at number two, right behind Trevor Lawrence. That draft class for quarterbacks, where everybody thought was going to be an exciting draft class for quarterbacks, has been horrible. Even Trevor Lawrence, who everybody thought was the messiah of quarterbacks, the next big thing, the next big Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, he has not been that guy. Has he done well? Has he been a good quarterback the last few games? Yes, absolutely has. He still has a long way to go to be a decent quarterback in this league. Willie, he has the best chance, but I can't understand why Jet fans think that Mike White is the messiah. It's a joke. And for what any anonymous executive says, the Jets, they'll be lucky to get this and that for him. Joe Douglas got a two, a four, and a six. For Sam Darnold to go to Carolina, which helped them get Jermaine Johnson, Michael Clemens, two players that are going to play a big part of this team moving forward in the next six to seven years. So for people to think that Joe Douglas can't pull off a trade like that for Zach Wilson, boy, oh boy, you guys have not been watching. In a league with a lot of offensive coaches and a lot of creative offensive coordinators, I think the two things they want out of a quarterback is accuracy and leadership, coachability as well. Because we see a lot of coaches transform their schemes to fit the quarterbacks. We saw the Ravens do that when they drafted Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson won an MVP in his second year in the league. Zach Wilson does have arm talent. He does have good downfield ability throwing on the run still we've seen a lot of arm talents flame out in today's league because they just try to force it Jamarcus Russell they don't do the little things well yes I agree with you on Mike LaFleur Mike LaFleur has been bad as a play caller this year especially since Brees Hall has gone down his running games besides the Bills game have been non-existent Zach Wilson when he has started has not looked good a lot of that is on him too missing all of those short throws fine but I think the coachability and the accuracy are the two reasons why that this report came out of him potentially not being traded for what they were hoping for now I'm not going to overreact and say they're only going to get a day three draft pick at this point I still think 
the market is probably a third. You do need that combination of a coach that's going to want to work with him, a franchise that's going to give him a chance. I think they get more than a third. Yeah, maybe like a third and a fifth. I think they'll get a second. This is a guy that you have control of. Carolina only had an opportunity to control Sam Darnold for a year and then the extension for that fifth-year option. Carolina loses Sam Darnold this year if he becomes available. What did they get for Sam Darnold? Two or three wins? And I still think Sam Darnold was the guy. I do believe that the Jets made a mistake on letting the kid go. I've been a pure believer in the kid. I think that with this roster and all the talent he would have on this roster with Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore and if Brees Hall was not hurt, the weapons that the Jets have were so much better now than they were when he was playing for the Jets. So do I think he would have succeeded better on this Jets team? Absolutely. But they decided that they wanted their own quarterback and they thought that Zach Wilson would fit this offense better than Sam and they were wrong. Joe Douglas was wrong. Robert Sala was wrong and we all know Mike LaFleur was absolutely wrong. Because the guy's an idiot. As far as Mike White, short term, I think it's a good decision to start him these last two games. 100%. At least try it out. But if they win, that doesn't mean he's the future. Long term, I think you definitely have to look at these other options. The Raiders now benching Derek Carr. Maybe that leads us to believe that they will trade him or they'll let him go. Jimmy Garoppolo is another one that was linked. 49ers ties. He knows Mike LaFleur's system. If you're trying to save the system, because odds are he probably will be there as much as he should get fired. At least one more year. Yeah, so why not have a quarterback that fits the system and try to make these other weapons work? And this is a Jets team that just needs a little bit of leadership. Jimmy Garoppolo has always been a good leader wherever he's gone. Teammates have always loved him. And then we've heard other bigger rumors too, guys like Aaron Rodgers. But I think those are much more realistic options than Mike White being a starter and getting paid like a starter by Joe Douglas, who's very smart with his contract. Yeah, his free agents haven't been overperforming when they've come in, but nothing you could really say is like a god-awful contract that the Giants have with Kenny Galladay. As far as the Jets this week, there's a lot of playoff implications. The most important implication here is the Patriots have to lose one of the next two games. They have to at least lose against Miami. They're not playing Tua this week because of concussion protocol, so it looks like it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater. Could they win with Teddy Bridgewater? Absolutely could. They have the weapons, and Teddy is one. He won in Minnesota. Decent backup quarterback for the Jets, and everywhere he's journeyed to. I think Teddy could absolutely pull off a win for Miami, but if somehow the Patriots win that game, still going to have to play a very strong Josh Allen and a roster in the final week of the season because they're going to play all their starters because they're going to try to win that number one spot which would give them the bye for the first week of the playoffs. I believe Buffalo no matter what will start all their players on week 18. The chances of the Patriots pulling off two wins like that are slim, and they got to go to Buffalo. It's going to be cold, and we all know what happened last year in the playoffs. Mac Jones in the really cold in Buffalo. The Jets have the ability to pull this off. They got to beat their old quarterback, Geno Smith, in Seattle. It is going to be rainy. It's going to be cold on Sunday. It's going to be very loud with the 12th man screaming and screeching, and Mike White is never been in a situation like that before in his career. This is a guy that's been a starter in six games. The Jets, they're a young team. Some of these guys have never been in a situation like that. Playing in Seattle, it is one of the loudest, if not the loudest stadium in the NFL. And the fans are crazy over there. I expect this to be a slugfest, and it's not going to be an easy game for the Jets. Could the Jets come out as the winner? 
absolutely could. They can run the ball. They could do all the things that you expect them to do against a defense that's not very good. Seattle's defense is ranked amongst the league's worst. They have a really good corner that they drafted in Woolen, who made the Pro Bowl this year. He's going to be a special player, especially where they found him. Fifth Brown, round. Has he been better than Sauce Gardner? No. And Sauce Gardner has been everything that they believed he was going to be. A shutdown corner and one of the elite players in this year's draft class. And they've had a lot of fantastic young players. Quinn Williams is the best interior lineman in all of the NFL. Robert Soller, when he decided to move forward in taking this job, was because of Quinn Williams and how special he could be. And finally, Ulbrich figured out if I played him for more than 50 or 60% of the snaps, we could have an elite defense up front. And boy, oh boy, when Quinn Williams is in the lineup, you see how special he really is. So he's going to make a lot of money this offseason. It's going to be very interesting if the Jets win out and the Patriots lose one game. No matter what Miami does, the Jets make the playoffs. You want Miami to beat the Patriots this week so the Jets don't have to worry about winning out. They do exactly what they're supposed to do against Seattle and they do exactly what they're supposed to do in Miami. And then the Patriots win both those games and then they go into the playoffs. And nobody's going to be happy about that, especially when the Patriots have been the worst out of all three of those teams. Yeah. The Jets would really earn it if they do win both of those games because that is quite a trip to going from Seattle to Miami back-to-back weeks. If there's anybody that could do it, it's the Jets. They been one of the more talented away teams in the NFL. And their defense has played elite in away games. That Jaguars game cannot happen again. They cannot go into a game like that and look as bad as they did. If they think they have any chance of winning these back-to-back games, they need to play hard. They need to play tough. And maybe Mike White will give them a little bit of a spark, but he's not the future. As far as the Giants are concerned, this is a shoo-in for the Giants. The Colts are not a good team. They're rebuilding. Jeff Saturday is not going to be the coach next year. They They don't have Taylor. They don't have a prolific offense that they've had over the last two years because they don't have a real good running back. There's no way the Giants should lose this game. Dable is going to push his troops. Daniel Jones deserves a lot of credit for the season that he has had. He's been sensational. Over 3,000 yards with nobody to throw to. Could you imagine if he had wide receivers? How many yards he'd be throwing this year? He probably would have broken 4,000 yards this year. There's only three quarterbacks in the league this year with over 3,000 passing yards and over 600 rushing yards, and he's one of them. Him, Jalen Hurts. And Josh Allen. I think that he deserves a lot of credit. And I think Dable has changed him. If there's anybody that's the quarterback whisperer in the NFL, it's Dable. Giant fans are going to be very, very happy moving forward with Daniel Jones because I do believe he's a franchise quarterback and I do believe that he will be considered as a top 10 quarterback next year when they finally put a roster around him so he can make plays. And shout out to Saquon Barkley. He is going to get paid this offseason and the Giants are going to pay him. They cannot lose him in free agency now, especially when he is their offense. And they'll bring wide receivers in the offseason. They'll draft somebody. they'll do a one draft and one trade. Yeah, I think they'll do one draft and one signing. They're going to have to figure out what they're going to do with Kenny Galladay's contract. They'll probably buy it out. I don't think anybody's going to take him in a trade. I think Kenny Galladay's career is over in the NFL. Yeah, they might anybody... have to like trade a draft pick just to get rid of it. <laughs> probably a third round. It's been horrible, and that was probably Gettleman's farewell project. Gettleman was right about Daniel Jones. Gettleman was the one that drafted Saquon. Now, I disagree. Saquon should have been a top three draft pick. I don't think he should have been, but Saquon is still a special player. 
player. Dexter Lawrence is a great player. Another Gettleman get. For all the Giant fans that took shots at Dave Gettleman, that he was horrible, look at the core of players he brought to this team. Help rebuild this Giants team. And if they put a couple of free agents here and there, the Giants are going to be very hard to beat next year. The last remaining core of Dave Gettleman's drafts have been good this year under the new coaching staff. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, Andrew Thomas, and Dexter Lawrence have really been that core four. Saquon, his running numbers haven't been as good in the second half of the season, but he's still doing well in the fourth quarter. Even against Minnesota, he had a, a couple big runs. He's one of the elite running backs in the league. Daniel Jones at 334 yards in that game was fantastic. He's done a great job running the ball too, and Brian Dable's actually done a great job with designed runs for him, and the red zone offense has really been a big thing. I think they're second in red zone offensive efficiency this year. Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator, deserves a lot of credit. That's a big difference in why the Giants have hung a tough and won a lot of these close games this year. They haven't been settling for field goals as much as you would think a team in offense that doesn't have a lot of talent is. As for the receivers, Slayton is the only one consistently. Isaiah Hodgins, who they got from the Bills practice squad, is coming along nicely. Hopefully he can do well in the playoffs. But again, it's going to be tough. Even in the playoffs, odds are they're going to have to play the Vikings again or the 49ers. And Gabe Davis could be available in the offseason. This year, he's disappeared in certain games. But if Gabe Davis goes to the Giants with his ex-offensive coordinator and Dable, I think he'd be one of the elite wide receivers in the league. I think Daniel Jones just needs a couple of weapons. I think he's special. I like this kid. I think he's more than qualified to be a starter quarterback in this NFL. I don't know if he's an elite guy. He's not a top five guy, but can he be a 10? Absolutely could. And this year, I would say he's in the top 15. If he can jump up to 10, just like Eli Manning, you can win with that. And I think they can win with him. As a matter of fact, he could do a lot of things that Eli couldn't do. Everybody could run better than Eli. No, but Daniel Jones is very (laughs) fast. No, he's a very good runner. He looks a little goofy when he runs the ball, but he is very fast and very hard to take down. He's very elusive, and when he finds the hole, he runs through it. He's a lot better than people make him out to be, and I think he's a better runner than Josh Allen. Raw speed. Probably only Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, and maybe Jalen Hurts. Like Probably those are the only three faster. He's a lot faster than people make him out to be. He looks very fast in the game. If he was running a 40, you probably wouldn't even think that he was, but in the middle of a game, just like Odell Beckham, did he run a 40 very well? He didn't run it the way people thought he was going to run it, but when he plays on the field, he's a lot faster on the field than he looked. So, I think the same with Daniel Jones. I think he's special, and I think the Giants have the quarterback of the future, and even if they were a top 10 pick, I think they keep Daniel Jones. Now, they have to decide, are they franchising him in the offseason, or are they going to give him the extension? If I were them, I extend because if he has another good season when they have wide receivers, they're going to have to franchise him again. It'll be very expensive franchising him. He's a free agent. There is no way in hell he'd stay there if they franchise him twice. They'll pull off with Washington. Yeah, I I think they have to give him a contract. I think it will happen. I think he'll get a four or five year deal. I think it more than likely will be a four year deal worth about 130, 140, 30 million a year. He's not getting 40. No way. But between 30 and 35, I think that makes sense. And I think the Giants should jump on that if that's the contract. Because then you get a future quarterback and a quarterback that could be an elite quarterback if he takes that jump next year. He can move six, seven spots. And anything from one to seven is elite. Elite is a guy that could do everything and help your team win and give you the yards, the touchdowns, the running. He could do it all. And if he gets up there, he jumps from 14 and he jumps to six. He's an elite quarterback. I think he has the ability to do that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, 
gentlemen, our three-for-all picks of the week. We'll start with the Miami Dolphins and the New England Patriots. Teddy Bridgewater starting for the Dolphins. 41, the over-under. And I'm going to take Teddy Bridgewater. I'm going to take the Miami Dolphins in this one for two reasons. One, the weakness of the Dolphins' defense has been chunk plays. Big plays downfield against older corners. But I don't know if the Patriots really have the receivers capable of doing that. They don't have a lot of good deep threats. Hunter Henry, I thought, would be a good matchup for them, but he's not going to play. And the Dolphins have stopped the run. They're a top-10 run defense and a tough pass rush. And the Patriots' offensive line has been bad this year. And I do think one of Hill or Wada will still play well while the Patriots try to shut down the other. So I'll take Miami here. I'll take them on the under. Yeah, I like Miami too. I think they can run the ball. I think they could do a lot of things defensively. Over the last couple of weeks, the defense hasn't played up to par. But now that Tua is out for this game, they're going to consistently play the defense that they have played in the first half of the season. Teddy Bridgewater is a quality quarterback that can make every single throw. He's not as elusive as Tua since he was on Minnesota since right. the injury. But I think he could absolutely put up the numbers and with Waddle and Hill, you could do anything, and I think they'll be able to put up the numbers to knock off the Patriots. Give me the Miami Dolphins on the under. All right, next game, the Minnesota Vikings and the Green Bay Packers, 47 and a half. The Vikings are 11 and 0 in one possession games this year. Will they get their first loss? No, they will not. I'm going to take the Vikings here. I think it'll be a little lower scoring than people expect. Probably no Christian Watson for the Packers. If he does play, it's going to be very limited, and the Vikings have done a good job stopping the run, so I think they'll be able to contain A.J. Dillon, who's been hot. Aaron Jones, I think, is a nice game receiving. Now, the Packers' defense has been better, too. I think Jair Alexander will have a better matchup on Justin Jefferson than the first game of the year. But they are getting the other receivers involved, and I do think T.J. Hawkinson continues to play well. The Packers really have a, don't have a lot of bigger linebackers or safety. So I think the Vikings win it close. I'll take the Vikings on the under. Oh, I like the Packers in this game. The Packers need to win out if they have any chance. Washington has to lose one game. And the Packers sneak into the playoffs. And we have seen this before in 2010 when Aaron Rodgers took his team all the way to the Super Bowl and win. I don't know if that's going to happen this year. It could be the last hurrah for Aaron Rodgers because he'll probably be traded in the offseason. I like Aaron Rodgers. I like them winning this game. They surprised a lot of people last week winning that game, and I expect them to surprise a lot of people beating Minnesota. Take his team to the final week of the year where they can sneak into the playoffs. I believe it will happen. Green Bay wins, baby! On the under. Monday Night Football. Buffalo Bills. Cincinnati Bengals. 49 and a half the over under. Classic game. I trust the Bengals defense a little more. The Bills have played well on the defensive line even without Von Miller so far but they've still had some leaks in their secondary that I don't know if we'll be able to match up well against these receiving core. Gabriel Davis has been very inconsistent and the Bills have had trouble finding that second guy besides Stephon Diggs and Stephon Diggs hasn't played well in recent weeks either so I trust this Bengals defense to edge it out. I think the Bengals win it close. I'll take them on the over. I definitely have Buffalo in this game. I don't think the Bengals have enough defense on the edges, being that Hendrickson could be out again. I like Josh Allen. He'll be able to run the ball. He'll be able to throw the ball in this game. And I do like what Buffalo has done in big games like this one. I think the Buffalo Bills need to win out their games too because they have to keep up with Kansas City and they cannot lose this game against the Bengals because if the Bengals win and Buffalo loses the week after against the Patriots, Buffalo could fall to the three spot. They want to keep that number one spot. They want to have home field advantage and they want to have the bye week. I expect Buffalo to come out and knock off the elusive and very hard to beat Joe Burrow Bengals. Give me Buffalo on the over. And there, ladies and gentlemen, is our three-for-all picks of the week. When we come back, our special guest will be talking to Heavy Sports Jets digital reporter, our friend Paul Esten Jr., here on the Weekend Crunch. 
We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio Network website, www.worldwidesportsradio.com. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our very special guest, talking a little Jets football as they have a chance to go to the playoffs for the first time in 12 seasons. Our friend, the heavy sports Jets digital reporter, Paul Eston Jr. Mr. Paul. What's up, man? I'm not getting a follow on Worldwide Sports Radio. You know what? I am going to follow you, and I want you to follow me at Errol Marks. 34. You got to be yeah. generous. It is that holiday season. You uh, are right. You're yes, right. it is what the holiday season. The Jets have made me have a holiday agita. Anyway, before we get into the Jets, how are you doing? Very nice. Daughters, she turned 11 months on Christmas. Congratulations. Congratulations. January 25th. Thank you very much. So my first and only child so far. So that's been spectacular. And then in terms of the Jets stuff, it's been kind of a wild ride. It's been good to see them with games actually mattering. Normally, if you'd bring me on this time of year, we're talking about tanking and draft position. So do not be having that conversation it's a legitimate playoff conversation not just jets playing spoiler like the jets actually they have a path to the playoffs that's really cool this has been a crazy roller coaster season with multiple quarterback changes injuries all over the barnyard but it's been a lot of fun so it's certainly been exciting is it a green barn it is it is a gang green barn if we're going to be specific on color code it because will be a gang green barn i remember yes. when sam Darnold was here they said that he couldn't hit the back side of the barn or christian yeah. hackenberg no, was christian another one. hackenberg couldn't hit a barn he just hit a reporter <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I do remember that. I do so, remember that. Yeah, so, Zach Wilson couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat. <laughs> yes, we have a lot of those going on. Yeah. Well, I think the Jets are questioning why they drafted Zach Wilson when they had Sam Donald. Looks pretty good in Carolina. He's developing. They didn't give him any wide receivers. Now you have Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore. And when Corey Davis actually stays on the field, you have him. You have a yeah. ton of running backs that can make plays. You have tight ends. You actually have a pretty good offense, even though your offensive corner does a hole in his underwear. I don't know what the heck is yeah. going on with him, but his press conferences don't sell to me that he knows what he's doing, but why don't we get into Zach Wilson? What is going sure. on with this kid? He looked good in certain games against the Buffalo Bills when they won 20-17. to 17. He looked good in the game. I know yeah. his numbers didn't really pop out at you, but 19 for 25, 160 yards, threw a touchdown, he ran a touchdown in, he, he looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, yep. everything started falling apart after the New England game. Franklin Myers made a mistake, and the pick mm-hmm. six didn't work. What is going on with this kid? Is this kid just not ready for the NFL? Is this kid just not a good football player? Yeah, in the Buffalo game where he even gets made fun of for that game, I don't understand, 73% completion percentage, and they won the game. Again, he wasn't Patrick Mahomes going for four or 500 yards, but they got the win, and that was and is their biggest one of the season beating the Buffalo Bills, the number one Super Bowl favorite heading into the year. Yeah, he's had moments this year. The first Patriots game, he had 355 passing yards. That was a career high. Detroit, he had a 300-yard passing game and a lot of wow splash plays, mm-hmm. averaging 20 yards a chunk. He had the 50-yard bomb to Jeff Smith, 40-yard bomb to C.G. Uzama, another 33-yard bomb to Garrett Wilson. So he's had moments, but I think it's the moment. I think it's the fans. I think it's the media market. I think it's getting in his own head and the Mike White 
factor looking over your shoulder oh, and knowing that last year he was able to pop, which is kind of weird to say for a guy that's come out of nowhere. <laughs> but it's really a convolution of events for Zach Wilson where he's just kind of folded. So I, I think really what he needs is, and I don't think he's going to get that opportunity in New York anymore because I think for one reason or another, the Jets are going to be super aggressive at the quarterback position this offseason. Is that Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, whatever random name you want to throw out there. Like they're going to investigate every major option. I'd be surprised if they didn't come away with one of those. And if they came away with any of those names I just mentioned, then obviously Zach Wilson will be cryogenically frozen on the bench. So probably what will be best is a trade this offseason to some team. I think there are a lot of teams that make sense in a lot of different fashions. Ultimately, I think he gets dealt, which is kind of stunning. You have two quarterbacks back-to-back. Sam Darnold was the third overall pick. Zach Wilson, the second overall pick. And we're still talking quarterback questions here in 2022. So it's a bummer. But yeah, I just think Zach Wilson's been rocked by the media. He's been rocked by making mistakes, afraid to make mistakes. And I think he just got into his own head. And now I think he's just so wound up to turn it that way that he can't complete simple passes because he's just information overload. I think he's a very talented football player that has had moments, but nowhere near enough to establish himself as a starting quarterback. So he needs as the Jets have continued to call it, a complete reset. And I think he will get that opportunity via trade. What do you think the value will end up being looking like for Zach Wilson? Because there was reports it might be less than expected. A lot of coaches don't like his leadership. Do you think that's the biggest reason for it? And what do you think the value will be? I've heard some people say you'd be lucky to get a seventh or sixth round pick. They used wow. like Blaine Gabbert as part of that package. <laughs> to me, I completely disagree with that I narrative. With but you. people pointed at that as when Blaine Gabbert imploded and then they gave up on him and moved on. But there have been other examples recently. Josh Rosen a year after was traded for a second plus. There's all kinds of examples that you can point to. To me, I think the thing that will help and Sam Darnold obviously was just traded for a 2-4 and a 6. The difference between Sam Darnold and Zach Wilson, and we will see what is more valued. Sam Darnold had three years in the books when he was traded for a 2-4 and a 6. So you can argue that he showed more than Zach Wilson has, but he also had more time. I think what's going to be more attractive though is the fact that you're going to have an extra year of rookie control. With Zach Wilson only playing two years, having that third and fourth year and then the decision for a fifth year option after that I think will be highly attractive to a team so I still anticipate that the Jets get value and Joe Douglas has actually made a history of getting more value than people think so I think it's somewhere in that ballpark a two four five a three four five they used a number two overall pick so you're not getting that but relatively speaking I think they get a fair enough package and again since they're going to go in some other direction Zach Wilson's the only quarterback under contract for next year a two four five a three four five that's better than nothing that's better to grab those and help build around whatever veteran quarterback you choose this offseason. So I think they do pull the trigger, and I believe that's going to be the package. We are talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Estin Jr. This team right now is a seven-win team. They have a chance if they win out in the next two weeks in Seattle and in Miami and the Patriots lose a game, they can actually make the playoffs. Now, Mike White is not the answer. I don't know why any Jet fan believes that he is. This guy has been waived five times with the Jets, and he's been back. And the Jet fans like him, and the players love him for some reason, maybe because he's not Zach Wilson, but nevertheless, he is not the answer. He's not going to win the Super Bowl with the New York Jets. He's not Nick Foles, so stop it. He is definitely a quarterback that can make every single throw and maybe knock off a Geno Smith and not a surging Seattle team. They started off strong and have fallen apart, and then Miami have been absolutely horrendous the last couple of weeks. The Jets have a chance to knock off two teams that are trying to figure things out. So, what are your thoughts to the next two weeks, where the Jets are at? Is Mike White healthy enough to get this team with a couple of W's? 
Jets. Both teams the Jets have to beat are slumping. The Dolphins have lost four in a row. The Seahawks have lost five of six. Both teams are slumping. Now, the Jets in their own right are slumping. They've lost four in a row and six of their last eight. But in terms of competition and who you have to beat, despite everything that the Jets have blown, the two Patriot games, the Vikings game, the Lions game, the Jaguars game, the other Bills game, like we could point to a bunch of games that they lost either by one score or just kind of blew it, like the Thursday night game where they could have, should have, would have won. And they would have already punched their ticket into the playoffs in that scenario. The good thing is you could kind of throw all that crap out because they control their own destiny within reason. Because you have to win your two and all you need is New England to lose one of their two. I think New England could lose both games. I get two has already been ruled out, but Teddy Bridgewater doesn't throw a lot of turnovers. So all of a sudden you reduce that in the offense. I think that's fine. Again, the Dolphins defense is questionable, but they're sure as hell not beating Buffalo, who has every right to play for the number one seed in the AFC, unless Kansas City loses this weekend, which I don't anticipate to Denver. So the Bills are going to have something to play for and New England ain't beating them. We saw what happened in that primetime game earlier this year between those two teams. So basically the Jets control their own destiny. I think the Jets have every opportunity here. Mike White, he's clearly the best option for this team. He can clearly move the football. Now, I think Jet fans who think he's Jesus and then the other (laughs) Jet fans who think he's like the worst thing since sliced bread. I think the truth, as it is in most cases, is somewhere in between. The yardage numbers have been impressive. The touchdown percentages haven't been. And the starting record wins quarterback stat. But it's about scoring touchdowns. They have not done that in those Mike White starts. The Vikings game, one touchdown. The Bills game, one touchdown combined in those two games. That's not enough to win ball games, so they have to change that. But fortunately, they play two really crappy defenses, two crappy teams, so everything is in front of the Jets from that perspective. Mike White not 100%. Multiple fractured ribs slash broken rib on both sides of his body. The good news is that he was cleared by both his own doctors and the Jets team doctors this week. It wasn't, hey, he got an outside doctor, they approved him, but the Jets didn't, and it's questionable. The offensive line, of course, has to protect him. They've been playing very poorly, but both doctors cleared him, so he should be good to go. He will wear an extra flat jacket that's part of what he called the quote-unquote arts and crafts that the Jets medical staff is doing to try to put something together to cobble his carcass onto the field this weekend. But uh, he should be good enough to go as long as the Jets continue to protect him. So the other end of the offense that has been great has been the running game recently. They trade for James Robinson, and he had one good game against the Bills, but really hasn't done much. Donovan Knight had a couple flashes, which was good, but not consistent enough. Are you surprised this Jets run game has not been the same way, especially with the scheme? And what do you think are the best ways to attack both the Seahawks and the Dolphins? with that running game to take some pressure off. Completely imploded. It's been horrible. And it's weird because, again, you've had these morsels of games, like the Minnesota game jumps out where Donovan had the massive run down the left hash that got him in scoring range there. And he's had a a few nice games. The Bears game was the coming out party when he got his first crack at the bat. So I am surprised, but maybe it's just that this Jets offensive line has been battered. They've put six different starting offensive linemen on IR at different portions of this season. And maybe just eventually the horses just run out. It's been impressive, quite frankly, that Joe Douglas and give credit to uh, the Jets offensive line coach, John Benton, that the combination of them have figured it out despite any injuries, and they've been more than competent in both protection and in the run game, but now it's just kind of slogging a bit. The thing I really don't understand, though, and it's kind of weird, is that the analytics of how the offensive line performs with Mike White compared to Zach Wilson are stark. Now, is it the offensive linemen like Mike White more so they're blocking better? Is it Mike White throwing the ball a little bit faster so the analytics lean a little bit more favorably because there's less time to sack him because he's not holding the ball as long. Again, that's up to each and every one individually to try to interpret. But the fact of the matter is what they will be able to do is get the ball out. That's what Mike White does best. He gets the ball out of his hands very quickly. And that should do two things. First off, that should horizontally spread the defenses that they're playing. So it should kind of thin them out like butter on a piece of toast. And thus the North and South running game of a Zonovan Knight should be 
able to kind of break through a little bit because basically what these defenses have done when they've played against Zach Wilson, they're like, screw you, pal. We're going to load up the box and blitz on every third down and see what you can do. And he's folded like a used lawn chair. So now to have to respect the passing game a little bit more with Mike White's ability, both in the short and intermediate passing game, that's going to both spread him out horizontally, like I just said, and also back him up a little bit. And I think that should naturally help the run game from that perspective. The Seattle Seahawks defense, they are 31st in rush defense. It's almost like what we saw with Detroit, like where the Jets sucked against Detroit running the ball. And then all of a sudden Carolina Panthers ran for like 350 (laughs) yards. Like the Jets have no excuse. They need to establish a ground game. And perhaps who does that first in this Jets-Seattle game may end up winning the contest. But both defenses are poor. The Jets should be able to get theirs in the running game, which maybe leads into some of that run set up the pass action, specifically this weekend, despite Tariq Woolen out there and Quandre Diggs in the back end of that defense. I think that's something that they're going to lean on. We are talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Aston Jr. We look at the offensive line. George Font, it took him a while to get healthy. He has been horrible. Dwayne Brown, I give him a lot of credit. He's playing with one arm. Lincoln Tomlinson has been absolutely horrible this year. McGovern, thank God, is on his final year, so maybe the Jets look for a center in the draft. Ever since Elijah Vera Tucker's injury, this offensive line has been an absolute debacle. The Jets had one of the top three linemen in all of football. The guy played four positions this year and was pretty dominant on every single one of them. And it's just a shame that losing a play of that magnitude, everybody was speaking about Brees Hall, but the biggest loss from those two injuries was Elijah Vera Tucker. What are your thoughts to what the Jets need to do this week against not a very good pass rush in Seattle and then the week after against Miami, which is a little bit better? 100%. And by the way, I hate that we're having debates. That's because there's been too many injuries where it's a conversation. Like, do you think Brees Hall was a bigger loss or was it AVT? Or was it this guy or was it this guy? Again, the Jets have been just destroyed with injuries all year long, but I do agree it was the AVT one that really set it back. But both were lost in the same game. They won the battle winning that 10 for Broncos game, but perhaps lose the war of changing the ceiling of their season by losing both of those players. It is up to the offensive line to step up to the plate. I mean, you did a really good job there of kind of setting up the issues. I give all the credit in the world to Dwayne Brown. He could have, after having a torn rotator cuff, which is the injury Dwayne Brown suffered right before the season opener, he had one of two choices. Either get placed on IR, which is what happened, miss four games, and not have surgery and hope you can heal it in that way and just kind of play through it. Or have the surgery and you're immediately out for the year. And if he would have been at 37 years of age, he would have simply just retired. So he would have just taken the bag of money he got from the Jets and walked off into the sunset. So credit to him to say, screw that and the direct quote that he gave to the team is, I'm not going out that way. So he has been, all things considered, uh, comparable from that standpoint at left tackle, which has been really cool to see. Unfortunately, I can't say the same for the rest of the line. Lakin Tomlinson, who it's so hard to believe how bad he's been because it's the same system. It's the same scheme. He's playing the same position. The Jets made Elijah Rare Tucker switch because they wanted to make things as smooth as possible for Lakin. And for whatever reason, he has just struggled mightily. So hopefully it's just a weird year. And then he just gets back to the consistent, durable guy that he's been in San Francisco. Like he's been out there. So durability hasn't been the issue, but just getting kind of pushed around is something, quite frankly, I didn't anticipate, especially with how we saw him in training camp in the preseason and the nasty he seemed to bring to the room. And yes, Connor McGovern is a free agent. So what are you going to do there? The Jets have flirted with options. Ryan Jensen, they flirted with him for NC. Corey Lindsley before in free agency. So I think center is going to be a big point of emphasis this offseason for the Jets. We'll see whether that's a draft or a free agency thing. They don't have the normal amount of money that they would. But I do believe that this offensive line can be comparable enough to get them through this run. True health in the offseason and adding new pieces to the puzzle is going to help more than anything. But this offensive line can be good enough. They haven't been good enough, but they have the ability to be good enough to get the job done both in the run game and pass game. It just won't be as dominant as they were hoping it would be before the year. One thing I've always had a problem with the Jets 
stats this year has been the assistant coaches. Jeff Ulbrich, I liked him at the beginning of the season, but he kind of fallen off, I think, when it comes to adjustments. And then Mike LaFleur, the same kind of thing. I think they're too stubborn in their systems. Do you feel the same way with either side of the ball? Jeff Ulbrich had a lot at the beginning of the year for the defensive line rotation. That was the thing that pissed people off because Quinnen Williams was getting anywhere in between 58 and 63% of the snaps. Wow. And again, with a player that a lot of people perceive to be the best player on the team. And this is before he's blown up and he's a pro bowler. I imagine he's going to be an all-pro too. This is before all this blow-up that happened over the last batch of weeks. It's early in the season. He showed pops, but you would think that, man, if he's showing pops with 58% of the snaps, if you give him 75, like, move out. What is the ceiling going to possibly be? But the defensive coordinator, in this case, Jeff Ulbrich, said, we got a system, baby. This is how it works. And he got a lot of flack from fans, the media, and everything. And then all of a sudden, something clicked. They did increase Quinnen's percentage a little bit, so they did acquiesce to some of that public pressure. Well, I like that but word. But overall, they, they did just fancy words. Oh, I show. love it. Yeah, I appreciate it. I try to dig into the vernacular. Like that one, too. Using that associate's degree and bachelor's degree. There you go, Mom. I told you I saw that <laughs> college money you guys spent. There you go. God bless. I will disagree on the Jeff Ulbrich stuff. I think while it was a lot of flack early on, they stuck to their guns and it's worked out great. Yes. The Jets have been a great pressure team, a great sack team. Quinnen Williams has 12 sacks in the year. That's the sixth highest total in single season history for the New York Jets. And if you didn't miss the game and then the other three quarters portion of the Buffalo game, he'd probably be at 15 sacks right now. Which, probably. By the way, his 12 right now is the highest number among interior defensive linemen in the league. So he's balling out. He's the Aaron Donald of interior defensive linemen. I cannot push back at all on the Michael Floor stuff. He just gets too cute. All his third and fourth and short packages suck. He just gets too far in his bag. He does crazy crap. He outthinks himself. And I don't know if it's the LaFleur name and he's trying to play to it. I don't know if he wants to be like the hero and like, wow, what a great call. Like, that's the reason the Jets won. But he's just done a lot of crazy crap this year. Like when it's a simple, hey, just QB sneak it. You got it. They do a halfback sweep for a five-yard loss, the Bengals game. It was a fourth and five play and they did a deep fade route to Elijah Moore in triple coverage. You're like, man, Elijah Moore's like 5'10". What are we doing here? So they've just done a lot of weird stuff, especially in the red zone. A lot of that has been bad because Michael Flores leaned on the pass more so than the run and that's hurt them in a lot of situations. Because when you pass a ball, three things can happen and two of them are bad. So I think really that they needed to kind of get less out of the bag, more committed to the running game. His adaptations have been very poor. Whether you want to give him the excuse or not, they've had four different quarterbacks this year get snaps and God bless. We've continued that run for the New York Jets every gosh darn year. <laughs> for the last four or five years, getting at least three quarterbacks in every season. I, I appreciate the holiday spirit. <laughs> Sharing that, that's very nice. You'd like that to be contained a little more. So I think both guys are safe and Michael Flores has at least another full year to me oh, before please. even that's a thought. There's only one LaFleur that's a hero and that's Peter. That's right, yeah. Average Joe's. Uh, uh, Jim, baby. We are talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Eston Jr. I'm just sick and tired of watching this guy call plays. Against Minnesota, you had yes. six red zone chances and the only yeah. touchdown you had was Mike White sneaking in after a fourth and one. I had to review that one yes. because it was initially called the turnover on downs, which would have been 0 for 6. And then yeah. you're second and on the two, and you decide mm-hmm. to throw the ball, not once, not twice, but three times, and gave the ball yep. away. That would have given them the lead, probably would have ended the game in Minnesota. Absolute embarrassment. And the excuses that he has at his press conferences is not selling me. You're the reason why Zach Wilson hasn't developed. You're the one who wanted Zach Wilson. You and Robert Sala. I'm not going to throw Robert Sala under the bus because Robert Sala has taken this defense where he said he was going to take him. He He was going to take him to that San Francisco type of talent. And he took the
this job because of Quinn and Williams. He said that mm-hmm. at his press conference. Quinn Williams he is did. one of the best linemen in the league, and people are going to see that when we run this scheme, this front four. But what I have seen this year from this offense mm-hmm. is just an absolute outrage. And for any Jet fan to sit here and say, it's not Zach Wilson, it's not Mike White, how about it's all because of Mike LaFleur. The reason why this offense has been horrendous in the last five weeks is because the one, the pretty boy himself, Mike LaFleur. Matt LaFleur, pretty boy. Sean McVay, pretty boy. Every single guy that comes from the tree of Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan are pretty boys. Except the one over there in Miami, the Smurf. When he goes up and talks to the press, they have like a step on stool. Oh, Mike McDaniels. And then when he's on the field, when they're practicing, he's dancing to hip-hop music. It's one of the funniest things yeah. you ever see. He's got a great personality. He's but quirky. Yes, yeah. he's very quirky. They're all pretty boys, and they don't know what the hell they're doing. Kyle Shanahan, as much as he's a quote-unquote genius, the man doesn't know when to not run the ball. He runs the ball when he thinks it's the right time to run the ball, and then when he has a chance to win the game, he stops running the ball. It doesn't make sense. The hard part for a lot of Jet fans, Mike LaFleur <laughs> is the best best offensive coordinator the Jets have had since, I guess you could give the random Jan Gailey year in 2015. Oh, but God. So he's been the best they've had, but comparatively speaking, they've all been terrible. So when they're like, well, I guess it's better than normal. <laughs> so I feel like there's kind of that weird mindset when evaluating Mike Floor because you almost have to take a step back because on a normal coordinator basis, right, all these people are like ripping apart like, man, you suck. And then some other people are going, well, I remember what it was before this guy. I remember the Adam Gase when we weren't getting first downs. And you're like, wow, at least with Michael Floor you're moving the ball. It seems like they're doing it almost at will when Mike White's playing and not Zach Wilson. It's always the old guys. I've been watching this team for 50 years since Joe Namath. Joe Namath is the greatest quarterback we've ever had, even though he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. It's nonsense. Mm. I'm a Jet fan. When I'm on the show, I do speak a lot about the Jets because they're fun to talk about. Win or lose, they really stand out, even from the Giants who are going to make the playoffs. There's nothing that really stands out. Saquon Barkley, great. Daniel Jones, Mm. fantastic. Everything else, Mm. Dable, great guy. Guy, fat guy that knows what he's doing on the field, probably win coach of the year if he wasn't in the same division as the Eagles. When you look at the Jets, there is just something about this team. If you don't laugh at it or you're not happy about it, you might as well make a joke about it. They've been a joke forever for everybody. The NFL. It's been a long time. It's been a yeah. long time. And by the way, Zach Wilson's mom, yeah. beautiful woman. Her girlfriend who probably slept with Zach, beautiful too. Why are they Love America yeah. speaking on social media? Why are they taking Taking shots at the fans, the mm-hmm. organization. They're only throwing him under the bus more. They're making him look like a barter. He is on every single dartboard in Long Island. His face yeah. is on every single dartboard here in every single bar because I'm of his surprised. stupid yeah. mom. His mom should yeah. be keeping her mouth shut. She shouldn't be saying anything. I understand she's got all the money in the world. I understand her brother owns JetBlue. Who cares? We all know about somebody that was drafted a couple of years ago from Arizona who had a lot of money should have played professional tennis decided to go into the NFL because a quarterback opened his mouth at the press conference said that he's the best quarterback in this class and the guy was practically let go after one year for another quarterback and there was a cornerback drafted by the Giants that had a pretty vocal mother Eli yes. Apple she's yeah, actually still true. in the NFL playing well yeah he is yeah, this Bengals, year I I'll believe. give him yeah. credit maybe he's figured out about time well his mom yeah. making money all over social media she wrote a book. Good for her. Everybody That's deserves great. to make money, but it's an embarrassment. And she should be ashamed of herself. And if I was Zach Wilson, I'd be like, Mom, shut your mouth. You're making Well, we worse. did see that. I think it was his rookie year. His mom was a very loud personality on social media before Zach 
was drafted number two overall. He basically went up to his mom and said, hey, mom, can you cut the crap? You're doing all this Zach Wilson yelling about this and this, the fans, organization, whatever. Like, can you please stop? And then she came out the next day and did a whole statement on her Instagram saying, I won't be quieted. I'm an independent woman. I'll say what I want, do what I want. So at that point, Zach Wilson just threw his hands up and said, all right, I guess she's her own woman. So he did attempt that at the very least. He's a mama's boy. Doesn't work in New York. Sam Donald was a mama's boy. Vinny Testaverde was not a mama's boy. Chad Pennington was not a mama's boy. They were New York type of guys. I just think they need to find that guy, that quiet, edgy guy, Eli Manning type of guy. He is yeah. a Hall of Famer because of what he oh, did in no the playoffs. Doubt. He's 100% a Hall of Famer. But the First guy, when it came to the big game, he found a way no matter what to win. He was a winner. He went out there and he gave it his all. There is not mm-hmm. one Jet quarterback. I don't want to hear about Mark Sanchez, please. <laughs> and I'm sure Rex Ryan regrets getting a tattoo of him on his leg. The instant of quarterback, the Jets have drafted a top five quarterback three times in the last 12 years. And none of them are going to be on this team or on this squad 12 years later. And that just tells you about how bad and how desperate they are of drafting a quarterback. It's an embarrassment. Yeah, if you go with just those, because Darnold lasted three years. Zach mm-hmm. Wilson at this point looks at two. And I think Sanchez only played four years. Four I think years. Then he went to the Eagles. The Eagles, Bears, Cowboys. Yeah, he bounced around. But <laughs> yeah, right. to the point that each of those quarterbacks played four seasons or less after being first round picks. Not ideal. Tony, I love you as a broadcaster. I love you on social media. Please don't stand up for any of our quarterbacks. Every single again. quarterback yeah, that the Jets yeah. draft, you say, oh, this guy's going to be one of the greats. They yeah, never no. pan out when you open your damn mouth. Keep your two cents to yourself. You're jinxing okay, us. There you go. If you yeah, want to blame a jinx, you can always blame Tony Romo. Tony Romo! Damn! You don't need any Cowboys bad juju in your organization. I love Tony Romo. I think he's a great broadcaster. I think he he's really fantastic. Is. For some reason, he jinxes the Jets. It's his fault. I'm going to blame him. Yeah, Cole in his stocking, Santa. He is all about the coal, baby. No gold, no platinum, no silver, and definitely no bronze, baby. There's a reason why the Cowboys <sighs> haven't beaten the Jets since 2007. Maybe it's Tony Robo. Isn't that such a crazy stat? That's fantastic. I'm about to throw up. Throw up a couple of times and forget the name Tony Romo. We are talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Esten Jr., our friend. We've heard them yeah. linked to a bunch of veteran quarterbacks. Which one do you think you would want the most of the ones that are realistic and which what one do you I think want. is okay. the most likely? I think it's tears. I think there's the dream people, the Lamar Jacksons of the world. I don't think it's realistic. For that team to be possible, Lamar has to burn every bridge and say, I'm not signing with you, so you better trade my ass because I'm never playing again. You can franchise tag me, but you can't find me because technically I'm a free agent until I sign that franchise tag. So you can't find me. You can't do anything. And Lamar's made a lot of money in his rookie contract. And he has endorsement deals and stuff. So maybe if he wanted to, he could push that. But until he does, that's nothing more than a pipe dream. The quarterback you want to shoot for is the highest possible because I think what the Jets found out this year is that at the very least, you're a quarterback away from being taken very seriously as a playoff contender. Now, is that Super Bowl contender? I don't know. I guess it depends on the quarterback you get. But if you get that missing piece, and if that's all that's missing, Robert Sala, Joe Douglas have to go into a room after the season, however it ends, whether it's playoffs, no playoffs, say, okay, we need a quarterback. Let's swing as hard as we can on whoever that guy is. If Lamar is possible, you go for Lamar. But really, the name I would want best for the Jets is Aaron Rodgers. He's been a back-to-back NFL MVP. While he struggled this year, is the most interceptions he's had since 2010, which, by the way, is also the year they won the Super Bowl. I believe it's really 
the circumstances that are sucking more so than Space Jam. His powers have been taken away. <laughs> well, look at like that. Like this year, all of a sudden, he sucks and he's over the hill. I feel like he's just a really good player. Everything has collapsed around him. The Devontae Adams trade, throwing pass to Christian Watson. You mentioned the jet screen thing of the three wide receivers in a bubble where they were all blocking instead of anyone coming back for a pass. It's the same thing that happened in Green Bay. He gives him the signal, hey, Christian, and he throws <laughs> it. It skips at his feet like a rock on the pond. Like Devontae Adams catches that for a touchdown. So I just feel like the Packers thing is just run its course. The floor had 13-3, 13-3, 13-3. Everything's great. And then everything imploded this year. So I don't think it's Aaron Rodgers just magically he sucks now. He's good, but everything around him sucks. And plus he had the thumb injury, which I can only imagine trying to throw a football with a broken thumb. Who I think it's going to be, betting favorite, has to be the player in multiple senses. The one that has connections and the one that's guaranteed to be a free agent. That's Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo would be crazy, not at the very least, to just meet with the Jets just to see. Because of the renegotiation with the 49ers, he can't be franchise tagged. So again, he's guaranteed to reach agency no matter what. They can't franchise tag him. They can't do anything. He is going to be a free agent. And I imagine near the top of his list, where can I get paid a lot of money? A lot of places. Where can I go where I think the system's just going to accept me? The same system I just had in San Francisco and all the coaches there. LaFleur, John Benton, they're solid. That's a softball to me. I'm afraid to all hell that he's been healthy one season in his entire nine-year career and it's 2019 and they went to the Super Bowl that year. That's good. But wait a second. He's only been healthy that one year? That's bad. I don't know if I want to pay him 30 plus million a year on a three-year deal for like 85, 90 million and he gets hurt in the first week. We're exactly back where we were in 2022 because if you throw that kind of money around, you can't then get a competent backup. You won't have enough money for the whole world to go around. Oh, so you're saying they won't sign Mike White for a sixth time? (laughs) No. Aaron Rodgers would be my pick, but I think the Jets will go after Well, don't forget about Derek Carr. He's possible as well. He could straight up get cut. He Mm -hmm. could be traded. I know Derek Carr, apparently all Jet fans think he sucks. He he would immediately be the most decorated quarterback in Jets franchise history. 100%. In every major category. Passing yards right now, he's got like 35,000 to change. He'd be number one in Jets history by over 8,000 passing yards. (laughs) Touchdowns. He has 47 more than the next closest guy in first place. He'd immediately be the best quarterback they've ever seen. That's someone that would intrigue me greatly, and I imagine the Jets will kick the tire. How about I just throw a couple of baseballs at those Jet fans? Knock them out because they have absolutely no idea. It's very Eagles of you. Somebody's got to be gifted. Who do you got this weekend? Seattle and Jets, and what do the Jets need to do to win? As close to a 50-50 game as you could get. Both teams are literally 7-8. Playoff lives are on the line. Now, if the Jets lose, they're out. If Seattle loses, technically they're not out. They could still get in with only one win in these final two weeks. They would need a little bit of help next week. But I think actually that weird factor actually benefits the Jets. You know that there's no other way. You have to win. You can't convince yourself saying, if we lose, we can still backdoor in. No, like it's over. Playoff boat has already started heading into this week, as opposed to Seattle, at least in the back of your mind, you know it's not do or die because at least you have a chance. So I think that weird mentality is going to slightly benefit the Jets. The Jets don't have a good history of traveling to Seattle, but the Seattle team has not performed very well. Look at their injury report heading into this game. They had like seven, eight, nine guys on the injury report versus the Jets who only had three or four. So the injuries, both teams are slumping. I think the Jets win. It's going to go one of two ways. My prediction is it's going to be a low-scoring, gross game. 18-15 Jets. <laughs> Six but, field goals versus uh, five. You nice. know, exactly. Now that I've said that, though, it's going to be 48-45. to 45. Wait, yeah, I think it's going to be an ugly 45 game. points? You sure about that? On second thought. Mike White's um, the next Peyton Manning. <laughs> I saw Connor Hughes of SNY. He said he had a dream earlier this week that oh, Mike please. White will throw five touchdowns against the Seattle Seahawks. But I think the Jets are going to play up for him. I think the locker room loves him. He's an upgrade over what they've had, so he's going to give him some life. And the Jets' defense has played really well all year. They're 7-1 and one if their offense scores more than 18 points. So if we get to my 18-15, I guess that's 8-1 and one for the New York Jets. So yeah, I think they win the game. I think it's ugly, but you'll take an 18-15, 1-2. <laughs> a win's a win, especially Paul, after all the Paul, I had a dream
team in the 1960s. I slept with Marilyn Monroe. Did I? Wow, Agree. that sounds like Yeah, fun. come on. Congratulations the, the, on that. Well, thank yeah. you. Somebody yeah. needs to sleep with her. She slept with everybody else, so. hey Paul, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate yeah. you as always. Thank now, you at yeah. Errol Marks 34. And I will follow you, Worldwide Sports Radio. Once yes. a year, I'm, I'm Santa sorry. Claus, and I can't even get a gash You do look like Santa hell? Claus. We just need to paint your beard white, and you would yeah. be yeah. Santa Claus. Whatever you can do for ho, a follow, ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Maybe a good Christmas gift would be the Jets actually making the playoffs. That'd God be bless. nice for the first time in 11 years. Th- yeah, that's what you would call a Christmas miracle. <laughs> it would be. In every sense of the goddamn word. Paul, thank you for joining us. I yeah. appreciate that. Paulie Eston Jr. Fantastic. Nice, nice beard, by the way. Yes, nice beard. He is a makeshift Santa Claus. Ho, ho, ho. Yes, indeed. Great Jets analysis and also great interpretations of old people's voices. Yes, our final show of the year. Paul Eston Jr., our last guest of the year. We're going to have new and special guests in the new year in 2023, but Paul Eston Jr., fantastic. When we come back, Carlos, I'm out of here, Correa, doesn't look like he's signing that contract. The Mets backed out of this Correa deal, trying to renegotiate this deal. Correa says he's not taking a pay cut. He's not taking a year cut. Does Uncle Stevie just bite the bullet and take the contract, or do the Mets move on? The big get for the Mets this offseason, after losing Jacob DeGrom and adding Justin Verlander, this would be a complete loss if they don't get Carlos Correa. When we come back, we'll get into Carlos Correa and the Yankees. Possibly could move Glaber Torres, and I believe it will happen here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our stories and check out all our live shows. Check out the Sports Lab Mounts, which is live Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Great guests, great content, and funny content. So definitely stay tuned every single week. This whole Carlos Correa thing. This has been a flip-flop. Since the Giants decided to back out of the contract, $350 million contract, a lot of people were questioning the Giants on why they would do something like that. The league, the fans, the Giant fans were throwing ownership and the GM under the bus. The Giants decide to not give him the contract and then all of a sudden the the Mets swoop right in within 14 hours. They said they were going to sign him, but they gave him an offer worth 12 years, $315 million. And now you're here Hearing that the Mets are backing out of this deal. And I don't know what the injury that he has that scares the New York Mets or scared the San Francisco Giants. It seems like it was significant. We've heard the foot when he was 19 years old. We've heard the knees, the shoulder. I think it's the hip. When a baseball player is told by a doctor that your hip is going or you have a partial tear in your hip, which means you need labrum surgery. I've had a labrum surgery. You're never the same. As a baseball player where you use most of your hip, ask Alex Rodriguez. When he had hip surgery, he still played in league and he still had decent years with the Yankees, but he wasn't the same player. Especially defensively. Yes. So, to lose a player to a labrum tear, he's going to be out for the whole year. The next year, when you're giving him 12 years where you expect him to be your third baseman for the next eight years as a starter, and you don't think that he'll be able to do that consistently for the next eight years, that's a problem. Even though you're paying him $26 million and it's a bargain for a player that talented, who I believe is still a top 10 talent, it still scares you. And I think if you're a Met fan, you should be scared. Now, 
there are going to be a lot of good free agents next year. Manny Machado, if they're looking for a third baseman, is probably one of the best third basemen we're going to see available since he was available when Baltimore didn't sign him. Jumped and he went to the Padres. I think he's done with the Padres. If the Padres don't win a championship this year, he's already opted out of the contract. So he is going to be a free agent. And he will be still in the prime of his career. I think he'll be 30 years old. Plays a lot and still one of the best defensive players in any position in the infield. And he's a, a power hitter. Now, if the Mets decide to not sign Carlos Correa, and somebody will, I wouldn't be surprised, and I don't want to say this, it's the Yankees. I don't think they'll give him a 10-year deal. I could no. see the Yankees giving him a six-year deal worth about $200 million, and I think he'd take it. But I don't believe the Mets are going to give him that $315 million contract because of this injury. Now, if you see the position that the Mets are in now, they lose out on Carlos Correa. This offseason was a complete bust. Now, everybody says they got the Japanese pitcher. He was cheap, $75 million. We don't know what he is or what he will be after his first year. Usually, it takes a while for people to figure out a Japanese pitcher. Otani is still a pretty good Japanese pitcher. I know everybody keeps talking about his pitching ability. Otani had a pretty good pitching year, probably one of his best. He's still not one of the elite pitchers. does give you power, and that's why he's going to make $500 million when he becomes available. Mad fans, I don't know who and what you're going to trade for this guy and what the Angels are going to want from you. <laughs> And if I was Beatty, if Correa isn't the guy and he doesn't go to the Mets, if I was Beatty, I would be very upset that the Mets were trying to take away his position and move him to left field and right. try to shift him. They gave up on him and they never even gave him a chance. And this is the problem with the Mets. They push out their own guys to add another guy, another team's problem. I still believe the Mets are still negotiating with Carlos Correa. There has to be stipulations put in this contract. If he doesn't play out six years where he is playing at least 120 games every single year, they can opt out of the contract. If he does break that, the contract's not null and void. Even if he gets hurt, his seventh or eighth year. If you can win a championship out of those years, I think the Mets would be very happy with that contract. Yeah, I think what right now is holding it up is because Carlos Correa did mention that he's not going to take a year cut and a pay cut in order to do it. So the Mets are either going to have to give him the 12 years and maybe a little less money per year, but still give him the 12 years security, or they're going to have to pay more for like an eight-year contract like Dansby Swanson got, and he's going to get a lot more money than Dansby Swanson got. The terms in the deal, there might be some different incentives. I think that's what is holding up this contract because they don't want to pay him that kind of contract again, the 12 years, 315, or especially what the Giants gave him initially, the 13 years, 350. That's going to drive the market up for these other mid-market contenders in order to maybe get involved in that sweepstakes too if Correa if they think is the missing piece and they can give him that kind of contract Correa is going to continue to use the Mets as leverage whether he goes there or not he might be smart in this process and you mentioned the Yankees too you're right I don't think the Yankees would give him 10 years but they're going to keep using the Yankees as leverage the same way and we'll see if the Mets pull the trigger it definitely worries me if, especially if it is a hip injury or a foot injury for a shortstop even if they do convert I have a base. feeling the Mets will pull the trigger they've gone too deep with this now they have to figure out if Carlos Correa is the missing piece, and, and they could win the World Series this year. They're one of the favorites if they get Carlos Correa. The way Uncle Stevie looks at it, if we can somehow get into the World Series or win the World Series, it was worth every bit of the move that they made to bring him in, even if he doesn't play out that 12-year deal. They haven't won in 40 years. If you're a Met fan and Carlos Correa helps you win a World Series in 2023 and that's all he does in 12 years, the Mets are still paying Bobby Bonilla. And they will be after Lindor's contract. Okay, so if they're still paying Bobby Bonilla and he never did anything for him, why wouldn't you care if the Mets gave him a 12-year deal and he wins you one championship? If the Yankees win one championship with Aaron Judge, 
It was money well spent. Uncle Stevie, he just wants to win a championship. He wants to bring a championship home to the Met fans who haven't seen one Speedy your whole life. You've never seen one. No. Nope. Met fans want to see that championship and obviously have the opportunity to go to a parade and celebrate. I think Uncle Stevie will do anything to get a championship home to the Mets. So if Carlos Correa is the missing piece, make the move. Now the Yankees. I have been saying this for the last past year. And after giving Aaron Judge a nine-year, $360 million contract, and then giving Carlos Rodon a contract, it wasn't a big contract for a left-handed power pitcher. But it adds to their cap. And they have to decide what they're doing with Glaber Torres. They don't have control of Glaber Torres after this year. He's arbitrated one more year, and then he's a free agent. And he is going to be asking for a lot of money. He is a second baseman who is going to give you 25, 30 home runs, 80 to 100 RBIs. He's not a great defensive player, but for a second baseman, you don't need to be. He's not a shortstop. He's a second baseman. And the Yankees could get a significant piece back for Glaber Torres. They could definitely get a good outfielder. And if they believe in Pereza, who some people believe is their future shortstop and they're going to move Volpe to their second base position with his pop and his power, if they believe that, then they have an opportunity to trade him. He was horrible defensively in the playoffs, as you remember in the Astros series. I think Glaber is a good playoff player, but he is expendable. And for the Yankees, If he's expendable, they can move him. I could see that happening. I don't know if they're going to get Brian Reynolds for him. There are rumors going out that he could be heading to the Braves. I've also heard Seattle, too. Seattle, too. Could you imagine Seattle get him? Yeah. That would be horrible. Two players that the Yankees could have got, they all go to Seattle. I still think this year, Seattle is going to not be a playoff team. They had a good run last year. They're going to have to have another good run this year. And they do have a good bullpen, but is that bullpen going to hold up this year? And that rotation, they have two good young pitchers, but the rest of that rotation is eh. And they have a roster with pretty good young hitters and Rodriguez, who's a sensational player. But are they going to be able to put the numbers up this year like they did last year? I don't believe it. I think they were they were a wild card team last year, and I think if they have any chance, they're maybe a wild card this year. I don't think they are. I think they're going to be a little bit better seasons with Tampa. The Blue Jays will play good this year. I think Chicago, even with losing Jose Abreu, they have a pretty good young first base that's coming from their farm system. And he went to the Astros, so watch out for them again. The Orioles could be too. The Orioles, they have a good farm system. But I expect the Yankees and the Astros to be the top of the American League. But I look at the Glaber Torres, he's expendable. I think that's where the Yankees are looking to find their outfield of the future, maybe Cabrera. But I think you can move him on the infield, you can move him on the outfield. I think he's a utility guy. I think he's their future full-time utility guy. And to have a player of that magnitude that you can play him in second base, you can play him at third base, you can play him in the outfield at any outfield position, I think that's a good weapon that the Yankees could have moving forward. In addition to Reynolds, I've also heard trains with the Twins, and I've also heard trades with the Diamondbacks as a veteran guy and a reliever as well. But the Twins, Max Kepler was the main guy I was hearing a lot. I heard about that too. Yeah. Now they would probably package another reliever with it. If you're trading Glaber Torres to the Twins, you're going to have to give up a lot more than Kepler. No, I know. They're going to probably add a pitcher in there too. Devin Smeltzer, Bailey Ober, they're both young pitchers. Emilio Pagan, who's a reliever that's been good in the league, a lefty guy that could definitely help the Yankees bullpen. And the Diamondbacks too, the same kind of thing. Cattell Marte was the name I was hearing. Fast guy, good batting average guy. He could play second base, he could play center field. The Diamondbacks 
Jackson making all kinds of trades this offseason. Definitely trying to get younger. Torres is a young player. 27. And I think because of the Yankees' overload in the infield right now, they're definitely feeling the need to push for an outfielder, too. Now, I don't think they're going to be limited to just an outfielder. It wouldn't surprise me if it could be a pitcher, too, or it could be maybe a, a guy that's considered a top prospect. Get younger at some positions that the Yankees are not going to be able to pay because they're the second highest payroll in baseball. They're going to have to wait out a lot of these big contracts. And they're going to lose contracts in next year's offseason. The Yankees are going to have money to spend again next year. And maybe it's Manny Machado. I have always believed that Manny Machado always wanted to be a Yankee. And for opting out of this contract, I did hear that Manny Machado wants to go back to the American League East. Maybe it's Boston. They have their third baseman of the future unless they decide they don't sign him. They better sign him. Uh, they better because they haven't signed anybody else as Bogarts goes over there to San Diego. There is a shortstop over there in San Diego that could be available too for the Yankees. Yeah. And maybe trading Glaber Torres over there to San Diego and bringing in Mr. Steroid Abuser. <laughs> that could happen too. I don't believe the Yankees are done. They're trying to find a left fielder, but if they believe that Cabrera could be there, they're looking to make a splash, why not do that? And they bring in a guy that is under control, has a pretty good contract, and could be your future second baseman. Or maybe shortstop, and then you move Pereza or Volpe to second base, and then you could trade one of those guys for an outfield. Well, he, so. Yeah, he's a superstar if he stays on the field. It just does he stay on the field. It's going to be interesting with the Yankees and the Mets and Carlos Correa, but a lot of baseball still not set in stone for here in New York. When we come back, a little NBA as the New York Knicks on a five-game losing streak and, and has a lot to do with Jalen Brunson not being healthy. The Knicks are trying to figure out who it, their starting point guard is with Jalen Brunson's injury. Hopefully he'll be back soon. And LeBron has questioned how long he's going to play. If he's going to stay a Laker or is he going to stay in the league? He's making a lot of money off the court, so why does he need to play basketball anymore? But he's still playing at the top of his game and the Lakers are still crawling, but LeBron James is playing pretty good basketball and the Nets are on a 10-game winning streak. The Brooklyn Clowns are on a 10-game winning streak. When we come back, we'll get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Go on the website and check us out at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows live during the week. Anyways, the Knicks were 100% right giving Jalen Brunson the contract that they gave him. And he, to me, is one of the more underpaid players in the NBA at his position. I think when you look at Jalen Brunson, he is a star point guard in the NBA. He's a top four point guard in the NBA. He has changed this offense ever since he's come to this roster, given the Knicks a point guard that they haven't had since Charlie Ward and Chris Childs. And he's better than both of them. But this team over the last couple of days have not played good basketball. And the reason why is Jalen Brunson is not in the lineup. He's fighting an injury, and the Knicks don't want to put his body on the line for a full season because if you lose him, he could be out for the rest of the season, and then they have no chance to make the playoffs. But you see that when Julius Randle is bringing the ball up or R.J. Barrett is bringing the ball up, there's a problem. And you saw it against the Dallas Mavericks. They had a chance to win that game, and they had nobody bringing that ball up. And when you don't have R.J. Barrett in that game because he hurt his finger early in the game, and then no Jalen Brunson, who is your second-tier player that's going to give you that offense? 
And that's the problem right now for the Knicks. Injuries are hurting them. They don't have enough depth. Obi Toppin's still out. Jalen Brunson's out. R.J. Barrett's right now out. Yeah, he's going to miss at least a week. So they're not getting enough offense. And they have bricklayer himself, Julius Randle, shooting up balls that don't have any chance of going in. And he's the one that's bringing up the ball. You can't win when your power forward is bringing up the ball. And when Brunson comes back, this offense will pick up. They were on an eight-game winning streak. They were one of the hottest teams in the NBA, if not the hottest team in the NBA. Now, right now, they're on a losing streak, and they're one of the coldest teams in the NBA. There is a hot team right now in New York, and it is the Brooklyn Clown. And has a lot to do with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is playing at an MVP type of game. And he's been unbelievable this year. He's averaging over 30 points, doing everything. Rebounding, he's passing, he's playing defense. Ever since Steve Nash stepped down, this has been a different team. Ben Simmons, when he is in the lineup, he's doing everything. He's not giving you 15 points like he did with the 76ers. He's fully up to 8.3 now. <laughs> giving you the rebounds, he's giving you the assists, and he's defending every single position. I think it's really changed this roster because you don't need offense from this kid. You just need an elite defender that can defend multiple positions and do what he does best. And when that happens, and you have that in the playoffs, when you have somebody that can take the Greek freak, or you have somebody that can stick a team's top point guard because of his size in his athletic ability, you have a chance to win those games. Kyrie Irving, he's not speaking a lot after all the stupid things that he said early this season, and I don't even think he should be playing. I don't either. But he's playing at an all-star level. He's averaging 27 points a game, giving you the assists. He's getting everybody involved. He's getting the bench players involved. I think he's been as good a point guard in the NBA as we've seen. I expect that this team will compete for a championship this year. I don't know if they're going to win. I think Milwaukee's the best team in the East. The Celtics have played at a very good, very fast, very quick level. And Tatum is probably going to win the MVP. But it's going to be interesting. I've been very impressed with how the East, especially the top eight seeds, how they've played back and forth. And the Western Conference has been a joke. We have spoken over the years about the Golden State Warriors. They're having a horrible season. The Lakers, I don't know. They can't get out of their way. Anthony Davis can't stay healthy. Or shoot threes. All these top teams. A couple of weeks ago, Utah was the number one seed. Now they fall all the way out. It's back and forth with the West. You just tied with the Pelicans and the Nuggets right now for the top two. And by the way, for anybody that thought Zion Williamson wasn't going to be an elite player in his league. Boy, oh boy. He's special. Him and John Morant, two very special players. Yeah, Grizzlies not far behind in third right now. And the LA Clippers, I know you were high on them at the start of the year. They're in fourth right now. Who would have thought that Zion Williamson and John Morant were going to be elite players and our guy R.J. Barrett is still trying to figure his way out. That's what happens when Julius Randle doesn't want to give you the ball and R.J. Barrett has to deal with all these injuries as a result. And you're the biggest indicator of Julius Randle uh, not giving anybody the ball. Individually, he's played well the last five games and they've lost every game. And now the Clippers are playing pretty good. Kawhi Leonard is back. They have to keep him healthy. He's not playing back-to-backs. He's starting to pick up his game, and when he does, watch out for the LA Clippers, because I think that Kawhi Leonard has not even played his top level game yet. When he figures that out, watch out for them. I think the Clippers are as dangerous as any team, but the Pelicans have won five games in a row. They've been unbelievable, and Zion Williamson is just embarrassing 
embarrassing teams. He's been fantastic. Do I think he's going to stay on the Pelicans? I don't. I still believe he will be a Nick one way or another in the next two or three years. He's going to push his way out. If RJ is still there, that's where he wants to go. Cam Reddish is still with the Knicks, and those are his two big buddies. Right now, the Pelicans are fun to watch, but are they going to stay like that? They do have CJ McCollum. I think it's going to be a very interesting season for them. Who would have thought they would be the number one seed? So. Thinking of fun while it lasts, yes. The Nets are on a 10-game winning streak right now. Will they be able to find the defense the whole time is the other question. They have the same record right now as the Pelicans. And right now, the East is just a top-heavy-wise. They're way better than the West. Yeah, they are. Because even Cleveland fourth and Philly fifth, but even Indiana, a team that's overperformed this year, 19-17, and they've played well. And the Knicks coming back down. But they're an eighth seed. And and the Knicks, eight games out. They're not going to be a first-place team. No. But the Knicks could eventually move up in the top five. They can. Right now, they're two games out of a top-five spot. They've played a little bit more games than Philadelphia, but the Knicks have a chance where they can fall in a fifth spot. If Jalen Brunson gets healthy and they figure this out because Atlanta's lost three games in a row, they were playing good basketball, but for some reason they have fallen apart. There's a story too. Nate McMillan might resign too. I don't know if that would be a good sign. I mean, he came in as an interim and got to the Eastern Conference Finals. Is it some reason named Trey Young? Could be trouble there with the rest of the team too because they made a lot of trades that offseason too and it hasn't been good and they've mm. been right around with the Knicks and right now the Knicks are ahead of them. Well, Brunson's been fantastic. That's Brunson's why. been fantastic and I think this losing streak is the biggest indication of why they should trade Julius Randle while the value is there because individually Randle's put up almost 30 points in every game but the team doesn't win in the midst of that because he doesn't present team value. Yeah and I think the Knicks should trade him and yeah. I think they will. They want to keep Obi Toppin and I think they want to yeah. move Obi Toppin to the starting position. That's why they drafted him. I think eventually they will move on from Julius Randle maybe for draft picks or a player that you can put in position that'll help you win for the future. So we'll see what happens with the NBA and the Knicks and the Nets and where everything falls after the All-Star break, but it's going to be fun. When we come back, a little NHL as the Rangers and the Islanders moving into the new year, 44 points tied for a wild card spot. Where do the Rangers and the Islanders go moving forward after the All-Star break? When we come back, we'll get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Happy New Year! You are listening to The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows, including the Sports Loudmouths, which is every single Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Great content, great guests, the best guests, and we are the best radio sports show here in New York. I don't care what anybody says. Boomer and Geo, Carton and Roberts, the Michael K show. We are the best radio show during the week. You want good content, funny content, absolutely crazy fans calling the show. Listen to the show every single week. It's definitely a must listen to. But we want to get into hockey and the Islanders and Rangers. The Rangers are starting to pick up their games. Shesterkin starting to play like the goaltender he was last year. They've been winning with Shesterkin. His numbers haven't been elite like they were last year, but he still has a goals against 2.35. Save percentage is almost at 920. It's all about goal. 
goaltending with the Rangers. Over the years, the Henrik Lundqvists of the world, Mike Richter, and John Van Biesburg, every single time they jump from one goaltender to another, the Rangers have had great goaltending. And if you have great goaltending, they will keep you in games. Now, their defense has been a problem. I've been saying this to the Ranger fans really for the last two years. They have some good quality defensemen. They have one or two really good defensemen, maybe three. But team defense, they're horrible. And in the playoffs... It showed. Now everybody's going to say, well, they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And then they played against a very good Tampa team. And what happened in the Eastern Conference Finals? They got embarrassed, especially after the first game. Now you have a championship competitive team like Tampa, and we've seen this before. You cannot win without great goaltending. And Shesterkin is one of the best in the league, one of the best in the world. And I want to give a shout-out to Shesterkin, knowing that his two friends, Romanoff on the Islanders and Sorokin, had no places to go for Christmas. He had a Christmas party, invited his family from Russia. There was a ton of family members going to his place, and he invited Sorokin and Romanoff, who are two very close friends of his, to the party, and they had a place to go. I don't know if anybody heard that, That but one of the reasons why the Islanders made a trade to bring Romanoff to the Islanders Islanders is because he's one of Sorokin's good friends. And Romanoff's been very, very good for the Islanders. Good young, fast skater who hits very, very hard, and he's been durable. He's been healthy, and he plays hurt. What I've seen with the Rangers, and they're getting timely scoring. Panarin's been hot right now. Zabinijad is is getting hot. So all their big star players are starting to score, and that's what they need. And their fourth line's starting to play well, which in the beginning of the season, they they had no fourth line. Now they're starting to put the puck in the net. They're starting to win face-offs. You see what this Ranger team could be. If you're a Ranger fan, I think you should be very excited going into the new year with the New York Rangers. Yeah, there's a lot of shuffling going on in the bottom depth of that rotation right now because there's been a certain overperformers, guys like Julian Gauthier that were fourth line guys that have actually played well enough where Gerard Gallant has moved them up to the third line and said me play the same kind of thing. And the kids played a lot better too. Capo Caco and Filipino are both on some of the hottest stretches of their careers so far as Rangers. But the one guy that has been struggling a bit is Alexi Lafreniere. I've been telling you about him. Yeah, they scratched him against the Lightning, which I guess guess is a little bit of a concern. He was practicing a lot with the fourth line, so hopefully he can get back into it. 12 assists, 17 points, 5 goals right now on the year, which is the same as what Heedle has. So hopefully maybe it's just a streakiness thing for him. But yeah, the top guys have still been very good. The Rangers have turned it around in the third period. As far as the defense, yeah, Zach Jones had to be demoted. They brought up a veteran in Ben Harper who's been taking the spot for now. But the rest of the defense has picked it up. I think the more of the concern is the forwards playing defense a lot of the time. Sometimes they can get too passive. I think Shesterkin's now picking it up. They lost it to tight shootouts of the Lightning, and they lost a close one to the Penguins, but Beyond that, they've still been playing pretty good hockey. They're staying afloat in the tight wild card right now. We've been talking about the Metro a lot. There are six teams right now between 44 and 46 points in the Metro. And the Islanders being one of them, the Penguins, the Capitals, and the Devils all crunched together. The Rangers are going to have to get some of the wins back. We expected this. Yeah. We did. We expected this. Washington's starting to play pretty good hockey. They've jumped. They, yeah, they went from the Rangers. They went from the seventh seed all the way to the third seed in the Metropolitan Division. And they're getting timely scoring from their superstar in Alexander Ovechkin, who right now is on pace to score another 50 goals this year. It's unbelievable what this guy is doing. He's one of the best offensive players we've seen since Gretzky and Lemieux and Yager. Timo Solani too. He's fantastic. He's fun to watch. But as far as the Islanders are concerned, and I am an Islander fan, Sorokin is 
the key. Right now, Volamov isn't 100% healthy. That's why they brought in Schneider. And Corey Schneider is not going to play. And this is where you're going to have the opportunity to see what Sorokin can do. If he can lead this team without Volamov all the way to the top. And I think he can. And he's proving that he can. He's put the team on his shoulders. There are games that he gives up bad goals. He has given up a couple of bad yeah. goals this year. But he still keeps his team in it. And when you watch him completely shut out the Edmonton Oilers when they had 49 shots, that's the type of goaltender that the Islanders have. The Islanders have had problems over the years with elite goaltending. They've never had it. Really, since Billy Smith. They brought in John Van Biesburg one year. He played pretty well for them. Over the years, they had Healy and Chris Osgood. He had a couple of good years with the Islanders, but the Islanders have never had an elite young goaltender. I do not want to hear. Everybody knows the name that I can't stand, and that's DiPietro. He wasn't an elite goalie. He never was. He was an overpaid goalie. He's still getting paid by the Islanders. So I think that Sorokin is is the perfect fit for the Islanders and if the, he could put the team on his shoulders and they could put a couple of pucks in the net they're going to win. They have a good defense. Has their defense played elite throughout the season? No. Their games they've fallen apart but they're also fighting with injury. Pelic hasn't been 100%. They lost a certain amount of defensemen on and off. They lost Aho. They lost Salo. He's been up and down, up and down. Yeah, pretty much everybody besides Dobson has gotten hurt at some point. Yeah, Dobson's right now to me a Norris Trophy candidate. He's been fantastic this year. Goal scoring, he's one of the team's league goal scorers. He's one of the best defensemen in the NHL. So everything that we saw the Islanders believe he was when Lou Lamoral had his first draft when he drafted Wallstrom and Dobson. Both those guys are figuring it out, so that's good to watch. And with the Islanders, they need one more goal scorer, maybe two. And I expect mm-hmm. at the trade deadline where Lou could figure out who's going and who's staying. And the Islanders will have money in the offseason. And I believe they'll look for a big, huge piece in the offseason to bring in. The question is, who and what? Lou struck out and failed this summer, and I don't expect him to do it next summer. I expect them to get somebody in there. It sucks when you have a great player like Barzell, and he doesn't really have any weapons around him that can help him or take pressure off him so he can be more of a goal scorer. But he is more of a passer than a goal scorer. He's not John Tavares. He's more of a facilitator than he is a guy that likes to put the puck in the net. But he has games where he scores two goals or three goals in a game. I want to see him do it more consistently. And if they can find a player that can play beside him, Watch out for the Islanders. Yeah, you're right about Dobson. He's actually the fourth leading goal scorer on the team. Only Nelson, yep. Lee, and Parise have more right now. And right now, he's doing everything that you want a defenseman to do to win the Norris Trophy. He's one of the best defensemen. Plus, minus-wise, he's up there right now in the league. He's been fantastic. And I think a lot, like I was saying with the Rangers, I think it's sometimes the defensive struggles have come with the Islanders forwards not picking it up as much defensively recently, especially the younger guys. I haven't played as well with the four-check as we've seen in years past with Barry Trotz's system. Maybe that's Lane Lambert's system, but it was doing well in the beginning of the season, so maybe they just had a tough time adjusting with that kind of thing. As far as Sorokin, yes, this will be a big test with the volume of games he's going to play, because as percentages he's been playing more than Varlamov this year, but the percentages is still not what you would want for what is considered an elite goaltender, an elite goaltending prospect, and you want him to play at the percentage of somebody like Shesterkin, like he did last year in his Vezina year, so that'll be a big test for him. You're right, he's given up some soft goals, which again, elite goalies do have those problems at times. We've seen that with Henrik Lundqvist in certain games. We've seen that with Carey Price. Like, when they do go up a goal. It's a bad goal. It's a goal you don't expect and maybe Sorokin's going through a little bit of that right now, but he's young. He's got plenty of time to turn it around. Noah Dobson in offense right now is ranked 19th out of defenseman in the league. Adam Fox has 35, but he has 7 goals this year and in 28 assists. Noah Dobson right now out of defenseman. He is second in goals out of defenseman in the whole league. Only Eric Carlson and okay. Dolan has the same amount of goals and Eric Carlson's the only one that has 
more goals than Dobson. That's how good offensively Dobson's been this year. So he'll definitely be a Norris Trophy candidate, and we'll see moving forward where these players are going to be. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Go check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows, our live shows, one of the first digital sports platforms in the country. Yes, we've been around for eight years. We have great shows throughout our network, live shows. It's not podcasts, but if you missed a show, you can check out Apple Podcasts right on the top of our page. You can check out the Sports Loudmouths, which is live every single Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Three-hour shows, great content, great guests, great callers, which they're nuts, and really funny content. So if you guys like sports and you want to tune into a great sports radio show live, and you can call the show as well, check out the Sports Loudmouths. Speedy, what do we got now? Crunch time! It's time for Crunch Time! All right, we'll start crunch time in the college football playoff. Their second game getting underway very shortly to Georgia and Ohio State game. We'll start with that. Buy or sell. Stetson Bennett will have more passing yards than C.J. Stroud. I'm going to sell that. I think C.J. Stroud will show up in this game. He's got a lot to prove in this game because he is going to be a top draft pick this year. When you look at C.J. Stroud and what he's done this year, at one point he was one of the best quarterbacks in the nation and he was probably going to win the Heisman Trophy. He had like three or four games where he had over six touchdowns in a game. So I think C.J. Stroud will show up in this game and I'll play the Georgia championship quarterback. I'm going to buy that one. I think the Georgia secondary and that Georgia pass rush is going to make it hard on C.J. Stroud. We've seen teams in the Big Ten not as tough of defenses as Georgia giving him fits late in the season. C.J. Stroud, yeah, he has a little bit of time to be able to recover from that but still no Jackson Smith and the Jigba, Marvin Harrison and a lot of the tight ends are really relied upon and again they're gonna have an unbalanced attack too and no Travion Henderson either Mion Williams is back but how healthy is he so I'm gonna buy the sets and Bennett has more because I just don't trust that Ohio State defense buy or sell Jair Alexander will hold Justin Jefferson under 100 yards I'm gonna sell that I don't think he's gonna hold him under 100 yards but I think he's going to do enough to help the Green Bay Packers win. So I'm going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell that one too. Now, I do think he'll play better than the first meeting. Obviously, it's not hard to do with nine catches, 184 yards, and three touchdowns. But I do think Jefferson still makes those tough catches in double coverage a lot of the time too. And I don't think one-on-one they'll be able to do that all the time. So I am going to sell that. All right, buy or sell. The Yankees will trade Glaber Torres this offseason. I'm going to buy it. I think the Yankees have one player that they can move right now, and that's Glaber Torres. There's nobody on this roster that is a movable chip. They do have Pereza. They do have Volpe coming up in their farm system line, so I don't think they need Glaber Torres, and I don't think they can afford Glaber Torres, so I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too, because they have an overload of infielders right now, so I think it makes a lot of sense. Value is still good for a guy that in 2019 and 2020 was very good in the playoffs. Not so much this year, but still, that could be something that contender could use, and I think the Yankees, you see these kind of things all the time. They'll find other gems to make it work, like the outfielders we mentioned, whether it's a veteran, whether it's a younger guy, so I am going to buy that one. All right, buy or sell. This will be LeBron James' 
last year with the Lakers. I'm going to buy it. I think the Lakers are going to move on from him. They're going to trade him. He did sign an extension this past year. He has two years left. I don't think LeBron James wants to be there. I do believe he wants to win a championship. Maybe he gets traded in the offseason to a, a championship competitive team. And remember, his son, Bronny, it's going to take two years for him to make it to the NBA if he does make it to the NBA. And I think he'll be a free agent by then, and he'll go wherever he goes. So I buy it. I buy it, too. I think either way, whether they trade him or LeBron maybe forces his way out in the offseason, I think either way. Watch out for the Clippers. The Clippers, he'll stay in L.A. He goes to play with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. There's a threesome there. They'll be hard to beat. Definitely interesting. But I think either way, like if they don't get the trade value right away, because I'm sure LeBron's going to have influence of where he gets traded to as well. I don't think. I think he wants to stay around there. Whether they trade him and get a lot back or LeBron forces his way out of the season, I think it's going to happen. So I am going to buy that. All right, back to college football. Both Brock Bowers and Marvin Harrison Jr. will have five plus catches and 100 plus yards. I buy it. I think both players have had very good seasons, especially in the second half. And Marvin Harrison Jr. has been fantastic. A guy that's really been raw. Everybody thought he was going to start off raw this year. Going into his second year, he's a freshman. He's been fantastic, so I buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. Now, I don't think it'll make it easy for Marvin Harrison because Keely Ringo has been a really good corner for Georgia this year, but I do think the target share alone without Najigba is going to just be too much. Again, I think it is going to be a lot of shorter catches, maybe yards after the catch. He's going to struggle to get there, but I think Marvin Harrison will still get there just based on the targets. Brock Bowers is a matchup nightmare for that Ohio State defense. They don't really have a safety or a linebacker to take on that body type, kind of like we saw with Kyle Pitts when he was in college. Just a very tough prototype to defend. I really like him, so I am going to buy that one. All right, buy or sell. Both Garrett Wilson and DK Metcalf will have five-plus catches and 80-plus yards. I'm going to buy it. I think Garrett Wilson's going to have a fantastic game because his boy, Mike White, is back in the game, and and Geno Smith has a lot to prove this week against his former team, and he's going to try to put up big numbers. So Metcalf, Garrett Wilson, both are going to have big games. I buy it. I'm going to sell this one. I think this is going to be a tougher matchup for Metcalf going against Sauce Gardner or against DJ Reed. I think it's going to be more DJ Reed. They're going to try to shift him to DJ Reed because he has a size difference. That's why I think he's going to have a better game. They're not going to let Sauce take him because Sauce is long, and I think Sauce will create problems. Well, yeah, it's possible. They practiced against each other a lot in Seattle last year, I'm assuming. So either way, I think they're going to make it hard. And and Garrett Wilson, against the size of those Seattle corners, I think they're going to make it really hard on him too to get those amount of catches. I think he'll get some tough catches, but I don't know about the target share. I think Pete Carroll's defense is going to make it hard on Garrett Wilson. I think it's going to be a sloppy type game, so I am going to sell that one. All right, buy or sell. Carlos Correa will not be in New York Mets. I sell it. There's no way the Mets can go into this offseason not getting a superstar player of that magnitude. They lost Jacob DeGrom. They did bring in Verlander, but a senior citizen pitching staff is not going to sell to the New York Mets fan. They'll get it done. I sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I think they're going to make it work somehow with these contract clauses. I think it'll take a while. I think Correa's going to drag this out as long as possible. I do think there'll other, be other teams to use the Mets as leverage, but I think eventually Steve Cohen will just say, all right, I don't care about the money. I'm going to do it anyway. So I am going to sell it. All right, two more. One NFL one here. Both Joe Burrow and Josh Allen have 300-plus yards and two-plus touchdowns. I sell it. I think Buffalo will hold Joe Burrow under 300 this week, and Josh Allen will put up a big spot. I expect him to outplay Joe Burrow because he needs to, and this is a big game for Josh Allen to prove why he's one of the elite quarterbacks in the league. Joe Burrow has already proved it. I am going to sell that. I'm going to sell that one. Now, here's the disclaimer. I do think Josh Allen with the rushing yards might get it combined for 300, but I definitely don't think he'll throw because I think Cincinnati's defense has still been improved in that secondary. They have no pass rush. 
and they just don't have a trustworthy second receiver. If to they don't put pressure on him, he's going to kill him. That's why I think he'll be doing it with his legs, but I don't know if he'll do it with his arms. Burrow, I think, will be close to it, but I don't think he'll get it either. I think he'll be a little short of 300 yards. I will sell it. All right, last one. The winner of the Georgia-Ohio State game, no matter who they play, the winner of that game wins the national championship. I'll sell it, because if Ohio State plays Michigan, Michigan's already beaten them. I know everybody keeps saying about Michigan, don't count out Michigan. If they get through TCU, which I believe they will, and with ease, I still think they could beat Georgia. I still think they could beat Ohio State. So, no, I sell it. I agree with you. I think Georgia's going to win either way. I think Georgia will beat Michigan. Now, it won't be as big of a blowout as last year if they were to play because Michigan does have a little bit of a better passing game. They're a better team. I don't think it'll be a blowout, but I still think Georgia will win. But if Ohio State plays Michigan again, I just don't trust that defense. Even Donovan Edwards, even when Corum got hurt, ran all over that Ohio State front seven. They really have a couple good linebackers and a good defensive tackle, and that's really it. They don't have a lot in that front seven to be able to do that. And I just trust Jim Harbaugh's coaching over Ryan Day, and I definitely trust Kirby Smarts over Ryan Day. Mm. And I trust Kirby Smart over anyone. So if Georgia, Michigan, or Ohio State, Michigan, Ohio State will not win. I will sell it. And ladies and gentlemen, that was the final crunch time of the year. We'll be back next week. Happy New Year to yep. all the fans. Really, Happy New Year. Enjoy your night. Be careful. Don't drink and drive. There are a lot of cops outside. It's raining. It's pouring. It's dangerous, guys. Not only for yourselves, but the people on the road that you can kill. So please, stay safe. Take care of your kids. Enjoy the ball drop. And enjoy the new year, 2023. I hope it's better than 2022 for me with all the family deaths and, and all the crap that I dealt with this year. But thank you to 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Thank you to Pat and Bruce and Everybody that's given us the opportunity to do this for a second year and going into our third year. We love entertaining the fans and everybody that listens to the show and supports our show throughout the network. Thank you very, very, very much. And we will be back next week, as always, with great guests and great content, as always. Speedy, what do you have to say to the fans? Happy New Year, everybody. Hope everyone had a happy and safe holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Whatever you celebrate. Kwanzaa! Yes. Kwanzaa moto! Safe travels if you are traveling today, especially. Happy New Year. The Ball's going to drop in a couple hours. Happy Hanukkah. Yes. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa, everybody. And wishing everybody a successful and fun 2023 and beyond. Happy New Year, everybody. Maybe some New York championships. How's that sound? Maybe some New York championships. I would love to see that. It won't be for basketball, that's for sure. It won't be from the Knicks. That clown show is probably not going to happen either. But maybe one of our hockey teams win. The Giants will definitely get it to the play. Maybe the Jets sneak into the playoffs. And maybe we see some excitement there. Who knows? Baseball, too. The Mets in the Yankees hockey teams the Islanders and the Rangers could have a chance this year so we'll be watching and we'll be speaking a lot about it moving forward in the new year in 2023 everybody happy new year we'll see you next week good night